It seems like a lot of my life is spent with a misplaced focus. Does that mean I'm looking at the wrong thing? Well, probably. Uh, or I'm dwelling on something instead of looking at it and setting it aside and moving on to the next thing. And this can be personal obsessions that we may have, like some people are obsessed with tools. They've got to have more tools, more tools, more tools, more tools. I have a whole garage or shop or shed full of tools and the sales flyer comes out and there's a new tool, a battery powered tool where once they had to run a pump or do something else manually. Now there's a battery powered tool for it. Could be something like that. It could be a care about the news and the world that we're living in. Oh, Russia's going crazy. Ukraine is going crazy. And we're doing everything we can to get wrapped up in the middle of it. And I'm just worried to death about it. That can happen. Those are maybe worldly things that can wrap up our focus. And Christians can fall into a little bit of a trap of saying, as long as I'm concerned about more Christian-y things, maybe then I'm okay. And we'll get caught up in, and I don't want to, that doesn't sound right, but say... For instance, you are concerned with some moral cause, like no smoking. And that becomes your thing, to where you not only deal with smoking on your end and your family's end, but you go on a personal crusade against smoking, or abortion, or... Corruption in government or any kind of sin that you want to pick and go after and you can make it your whole life's mission to be swinging a sword against that sin and you get so consumed with it that you think that God's victory over that sin depends on you swinging your sword properly and enough times. And going on enough. And it all depends on you. Well, I fall into that trap myself. And I'm guessing a lot of God's children probably do. We get to where we worry too much. We're too concerned about things depending on us. And then we lose sleep. Some of you young people probably never have issues going to sleep. It's just something you do. 
you go to bed and you go to sleep and then you wake up in the morning time. And then when you get older and maybe you get full of cares or maybe not even full of cares, maybe you just have one care in front of you that's so big that sleep flees away from you and you're wondering, well, what's happened? I know I'm not supposed to just be laying here worrying about this. God's got everything under control. And still, I can't sleep. I've been there myself, maybe there now, and maybe some of you are there now. And we read through the scriptures and we see King David running around playing hide-and-seek in a fairly small geographical area. I usually say the size of Pulaski County. (laughs) Maybe here we'll say an area the size of Roanoke City and Roanoke County. And you're not playing hide-and-seek with your friends. You're playing hide-and-seek with a bunch of people Thousands of people that want to kill you. So you're hiding. They're seeking. And when they find you, it's game over. And David, in that condition, could lay his head down at night and go to sleep. How? Could I do that? Evidently not. I've already told you that I've lost sleep myself. And I didn't have thousands of people searching for me, trying to kill me. I just had problems. You know, maybe a bill that needs to be paid. Or maybe somebody in my life is just not doing right. And I haven't figured out how to do whatever I need to do with them to make them do right. Or some kind of other problem, maybe in between those two types of problems. My actions there are more akin to the actions of the Pharisees when they were dealing with Jesus trying to trap him trying to trick him trying to make him do right trying to fix things so that they could go back to their old order so that things could be good again and so that they could move forward We turn over in our Bibles to John chapter 8. There is a neat dialogue here that contains just this type of situation. And it starts off with Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. We have Starting off, the 
account of the woman that was caught in adultery. And it's a familiar story. We've heard it preached on ably many times. And in that story, or in the account, Jesus is drawing in the ground, ignoring those around him. And they press him on the matter again, and he says, Let's let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And the people start to filter out, starting at the oldest and ending with them all. And then Jesus turns to the woman and says, Woman, in verse 10, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now there's a lot of things that happen after this account and a lot of different situations there. And I want to focus on those this morning. So we'll start in verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So Jesus is talking again to the Pharisees. Everybody's come back together after that situation. And Jesus makes a statement which is 100% against the old order. Okay, the old order is set up with God the Father being some sort of unknown, mythical father of Abraham that we say we worship. Okay, but then below God the Father, they have the Pharisees. And the Pharisees in that system were the visible representation of what ought to be worshipped in their world, in their false religion. Because they were the ones who really know, knew how to serve God and how to do right. And if everybody could just follow and honor the Pharisees, then everything would be right with the world, they said. Jesus' statement here is 100% against that system. It says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So Jesus is not saying, follow the Pharisees, honor the Pharisees, do good and act just like the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, there is no light in this world except for himself. 
He's the one that we can see by and live by. Not just light, but the light of life. The Pharisees, verse 13, are in that conundrum then where they have this situation before them where they have to bend and break and form this person that's out of the way, that's out of sorts, that's not doing right according to them. Jesus has to be tricked, cajoled, framed, reworked, fixed into seeing that really the Pharisees are on top and they're the ones that need to be followed. So the Pharisees therefore said unto Jesus, said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. You're a fake, you're a fraud, you're a phony, you're a liar. Sounds sort of like the attacks we hear from politicians against other politicians these days. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go. But ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Jesus is letting them know they really don't know who he is. They don't understand who he is. They don't know where he's come from. They don't understand where he's going. Because under their system, the Pharisees are on top. And everybody's supposed to follow them. They have no knowledge of or idea about God the Father. He's just some mythical thought that you recognize as being on top of the Pharisees, but there's no real understanding there as to what that is. Verse 15. Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. See here a good statement of the humanity of Christ. We have Christ the Advocate. Christ the priest and Christ the sacrifice is the Jesus that doesn't judge. It's the Jesus that intercedes on behalf of his brothers and sisters.
this is one of those places that people will pick and say, well, there's contradictions in the Bible. Because here it says Jesus doesn't judge. And then all you have to do is turn over into the book of Revelation and it says that Jesus is the judge. They don't understand that language has limitations to describe the infinite. We know that Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the keeper of the world. And Jesus is the Savior. All of these God works. But then here we see that Jesus is a man who is dealing with God on our behalf. Dealing with us, not as a judge but as our lawyer, as our advocate. So it can be rightly said by Jesus the man, I judge no man. He intercedes on our behalf. Verse 17, he turns the Pharisees on their head. By quoting scripture, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? So the scripture says that the testimony of two men is true. Jesus bears witness of himself. And then we have the picture at Jesus' baptism where the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove. And God the Father said, Behold my Son in whom I am well pleased. There was already well-known and recorded testimony. All they had to do was look, unstop their ears, and they could hear. Yes, there's something different about this Jesus. Nobody else has a voice coming out of the heavens saying, Behold. I am the one that beareth witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Nothing they could do with that. So they tried to throw up camouflage. They tried to throw up smoke. They tried to confuse. In verse 19, Then they said unto him, Where is thy father? They always have the perfect trap. Where is thy father? Jesus is talking about his father. We don't want to deal with that voice coming out of heaven. 
let's have Jesus tell about his father because there's some stuff there that might be embarrassing for him. There's some stuff there that people aren't going to understand. There's some stuff there that we can maybe bend him and break him and make him do what we want him to do if we can just talk about this. Where is thy father? Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. He said, and he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. So Jesus is introducing now, going into this dual nature that he has. He is part man, part God. He's also standing before them arguing as all man. Okay? He's one that doesn't judge. All man. 100% man. But now he's saying he is not of this world. All men are of this world. There's a sense in which Jesus is not of this world. He is also not only all man, but all God. All God. From the Father. This thing that they can't even describe up above the Pharisees. That they know nothing about. He is from the Father. All God. So we see here that our language, which is a description of the thoughts and intents of our mind and heart, can only go as far as our mind and our heart go. If we cannot really understand God because he is infinite, how and why do we expect our language to be able to perfectly describe God? Because our words come from our heart. And if our heart doesn't know, our, Lord, our words necessarily have limits. You're from beneath, I am from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he... You shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? 
And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. All this dialogue through all the Gospels before this point, and even things that haven't been recorded from Jesus, every single bit of it is true. Every single bit of it is about him and his life. And he's calling that to their attention. I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Which makes sense. Unless you have spiritually alive ears and a heart to receive, then you can't hear, you can't understand, you can't partake of the bread or knowledge of the divine. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Now there's something here in this verse that hit me. Because prior to this verse, we have... Jesus, the good guy, against the Pharisees, the bad guys. It's good and bad. And it's clearly cut between the two. It's just like a John Wayne movie. You know who the good guys are, and you know who the bad guys are. And that's the way I naturally operate in life. We can be talking politics, we can be talking about sports, we can be talking about anything of interest, and you'll see I start to separate into good guys and bad guys. Maybe not everything, but I tend to do that, and it's real easy to do that here because you've got Jesus and you've got the Pharisees. But here in this verse, he says, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, when you're killing me, when you're crucifying me, when you're putting Jesus, the Son of God, to death. And that doesn't even make sense. How in the world could the Creator and the Keeper of the world be put to death by man, the creature's? It's all part of God's plan. It's the only way it can make sense. But Jesus is calling them to mind when they're going to kill him. He's not just admitting that they're going to kill him. But he's saying that when you're killing me, something's going to happen. God is going to be working. 
There's going to be all of you together. And you're going to be of a single mind. The great lot of you are going to be killing me. Killing Jesus. Thinking that you're doing God's service. Thinking that if you're not going to bend him and mold him into who he needs to be to support your false system, then you're going to break him and do away with him and not have to worry about him. Okay, that's still all in the basic black and white good guy and bad guys setup. That's all still there. But he says, Then shall ye know that I am he. Then shall ye know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself. But as my father hath taught me, I speak these things. You say, okay, so they're going to recognize here that Jesus actually is the Son of God. Okay. We know at least that. But I'm going to say to you today that I think that it's more than that. (coughs) There were people there who crucified Jesus that were of a single mind. They were all together wanting to kill Christ, wanting to do away with him. And as they crucified him, it was revealed unto them that, what did the Roman soldier say? Truly this was the Son of God. So even one of the soldiers recognized it, stated it, not just knew it in his heart, but stated it to where it could be recorded for all of history to know that even a soldier there of a different culture could see what was going on. It was revealed unto them that this was the Son of God. Now what did Jesus say there during the crucifixion? There's one thing that he prayed. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who was Jesus praying for? Praying for his people, right? He wouldn't be praying that prayer for goats, would he? No. Christ the advocate advocates for his people. Now, I don't know anything here about percentages. I don't know anything here about extents. There's nothing here that tells me that 50 people there 
had a direct operation of the Holy Ghost in their hearts and made them alive, made them children, lively children of God at that time, at that time, at the crucifixion. Wow. What a time to become a child of God, a lively child of God. Boom. At the most impressive event in human history. We're not talking about basic tornadoes or hurricanes or tsunamis or blizzards or anything like that. We're talking about really interesting and strange and powerful stuff going on. The dead coming out of their graves. Things so interesting that even the dead couldn't stay dead and stay still. They had to come up and be checking out what's going on and be seen moving around. Crazy. Crazy powerful stuff. Could have been 50, could have been 100, could have been thousands. I don't know. But Christ was praying for people there. And Christ was revealed to people there. And out of this single-minded lot of bad guys, some of them instantly became good guys. Good guys that have a new heart and a new life and now are following God. Wow. This is amazing stuff that Jesus is referencing here. Here he is in an argument with a bunch of people And have you ever had people that you could argue with? And maybe you argued with them last month. And you can sit down and you can argue with them for 30 minutes. And you go, okay, that's enough. We're done with this argument. Let's talk about something else. And you talk another 30 minutes and you look back on it and you go, oh, there's 30 minutes more of arguing. All I do with this person is argue. All we do is fight. All we do is have conflict. We're really good at arguing with each other. Well, that's the way Jesus is here with these Pharisees. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to confuse him. And every single point that they make, he has the perfect response. The perfect trap. And they have to go on to a different argument. A different tack. So out of this single-minded group of people that are always at enmity with Christ, a group is plucked out and moved to Jesus' team. To his side. To not being at enmity with Christ anymore. 
but like every child of God, in a state of grace, in love, in union with Christ. So with that being before us, think about that when we read this verse again. Verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. The Son of God, here before man, to give a testimony of himself and to live a life as a man so that he can be a suitable sacrifice to satisfy the judgments of God against the sins of his people. Verse 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. This is one of those verses that you say either puts Jesus in the category of the divine, he is who he said he was, or he's a crazy man, or a world-class liar. He's saying that he's with God, the Father, and that he always does the things that please the Father. He's saying that he's actually the one that is actually the way that the Pharisees want everybody else to think of the Pharisees. The good guys, the ones that always do right, the white robes, clean, special, honored and revered. Jesus, a common man, carpenter's son, was saying that he's actually the one that's like the way that they want everybody else to think of themselves. I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word... Then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Popular verses here. Now we have trouble in the group of the Pharisees. They see that they're starting to lose control of the situation. Here, this guy that we're trying to bend and break and change into a right way of thinking is actually just getting people to follow after him. 
what are we going to do now? Every trap we throw at him is not only not working, but now it's backfiring. It's working against us. Stop right there and ask yourself with your problems, why can't you sleep? If you're one of those people, why can't you sleep? Jesus is able not only to make your problems not do what you fear, but can actually turn them into blessings. All the attacks were turned around and were backfiring. People are coming to a knowledge of the truth and as a result of knowing the truth, finding freedom. Verse 33, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So there is here, Jesus is constantly pulling focus off of where it is to where it should be. Where does my focus go? My focus goes to myself. What am I doing? Am I doing right? No, I'm sinning. I'm a professional at it. I sinned yesterday. I sinned earlier today. I'm sinning now. I got to stop that. I got to do good. I got to do gooder. Jesus is recognizing that I am a servant to sin. That humanity is in service to sin. But instead of just being in, dwelling in, staying in, enjoying being a slave to sin... Jesus is calling his people to freedom. And saying, this house of sin that you are in service to is not going to last forever. But the Son abideth forever. Jesus is calling us to a change of focus. From what we're stuck on 
to what we should be focused on. If the Son, therefore, shall make ye free, ye shall be free indeed. <clears throat> we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. There's still 20 more verses in this chapter that is more back and forth, more back and forth between Christ and the Pharisees. Trap, answer to trap. Focus on the wrong things, transformation of that focus to Christ. The relationship of Christ with the Father. I said a minute ago, talking about the claim of Christ there, that he's either a liar or a crazy man or the Son of God. And that's one of those neat shock statements that fancy preachers use to grab people's attention or to help make something clear. But it's not something new. It's actually referenced here in this in these following passages. As you read on, you'll see that they accuse Christ of having a devil. Like you can't say that you are of the Father, that you are the Son of God. You can't be saying this. You must have a devil in you. You must be possessed. You must be demon-possessed to be thinking these things. So that whole idea of Christ either being who He said He is or being possessed or a liar, a horrible person, that comes right out of this chapter here. Interesting things. Uh, when I was thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit at Calvary and people coming to a knowledge of Him, a conversion experience occurring as a result of what transpired on that day, I thought also of Saul of Tarsus. He was one that God did a work in his heart. And as we know, as he went about persecuting the Lord's church, he was stopped. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Kicking against the pricks. Okay, kicking a, a sharp point, a thorn. Why are you kicking a thorn? Is that comfortable? That's awful. That's worse than stepping on a Lego. Some of you know what that is. And some of you fear what that is. Kicking against the pricks. As he went about doing his service to the house of sin before his focus was changed 
to being in service to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what the message is today, a change of focus from our service to the house of sin to focusing on our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who abides forever. And that's true whether it's a carnal obsession such as tools or sports. Some people actually go crazy about football. I maybe used to be one of those and I don't understand it anymore. But it can be politics, it can be moral issues, it can be anything that pulls our focus off of Jesus. All those things are good in their place. I'm not going to say that we have to just focus on not having any fun and not doing anything in this world while we're in this world. God put us here for a reason and has blessed us with many things to enjoy. And if God has given you something to enjoy, be it a ball game or a slice of homemade apple pie or a nice house or a nice car, you better enjoy it. If you're not enjoying a gift from God, you're going to answer for it. But enjoy it and keep your focus where it needs to be.